And um, I'm just excited, really, about, I'm good, thank you. It's, it's the podium mic, I think, that's feeding back. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about Revelation, and I just wanted to use today to kind of talk about, the podium mic is still on. Uh, I, I want to use today to just talk about what are some of the things that the Bible tells us will be going on in heaven and what we should be looking forward to and excited about. And I think the most important thing is the, uh, that's good, is the, um, the uh, idea of um, rejoicing. And Lord, we just ask you this morning that you would just give us a mind to understand your word. May you be glorified in all that we do, say, sing, think, and speak today. And may your people be edified. We give you honor in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So um, if you will, if you look at Revelation chapter 19, I just want you to see a couple things there from 19. Revelation chapter 19. And I want to read for you just a couple verses from verse 1 of chapter 19. And on this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and the power belong to our God. I'll talk about that a little more next week because I think Sister Debbie and the choir will, will probably sing this on the fifth Sunday next week and I'll talk a little bit more about Revelation 19 and what a glorious phrase that is. Uh, he, he goes on to say in verse two, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out. And boy, I just love this song in Revelation 20 and Revelation 19. Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you, his servants who fear him, great and small. And by the way, there's that word again we talked about in Sunday school this morning relative to um, uh, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And that word fear here is used here and revelation is used multiple times. And, and is referring to, in some cases, fear as in being afraid. Some cases, fear is a word of reverence and respect. And, and, I, and I love the fact that it goes on to say, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of many pearls of uh, many peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, one of the highest praises you can give God, hallelujah for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. That's another great song that we sing. And I love that. Let us rejoice, verse 7, and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. May the Lord add a blessing, a multiple blessings to the reading of his word. Last week, last week I shared, last week I shared with you all this great verse in St. Luke. St. Luke chapter 10, verses 19 and 20. And it was, a, it was about when the 72 returned from doing their great missionary work, their great exploits. They went on this missionary journey and they were going out to do things to, to the glory of the Lord. 
and I, I share with you guys this verse, and it says, okay, I know I'm going off, uh, off camera. Sorry about that. I get, I get out of the, I get out of the, uh, the view of uh, the line of view, but let me just go back and say, Luke 10, 19 says this, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. And let me just pause and say the sermon this morning is about rejoice. I'm talking, actually, the title of the sermon is Rejoice. So if you're taking notes, you might want to note that. I think I, uh, one of the uh, Anderson ladies passed out notes for everyone. And uh, we emailed notes uh, as well. And my, my granddaughter, Peyton, uh, will be sending notes out by U.S. mail as well. And in Rejoice, this word is an amazing term because it's all throughout the book of Revelation. And I said to you all at the very outset that this book is about restoration and it's about rejoicing. It's about God redeeming his people, amen? Restoring his people. And it's about a celebration of rejoicing. This is such an exciting book. It's a book that should be enjoyed by all believers. It's the only book that I can think of that states, actually states, at the beginning of the book in chapter 1, verse 3, at the very end of the book in chapter 22, that there's a built-in blessing for anyone who reads and follows this book. Anyone who reads and listens to the writing uh, in this book, there is a built-in blessing for them. You, you really can't ask for any more that just reading a book gives you a blessing. How many could use a blessing today? How many could use a blessing tomorrow? How many of you need a blessing next Thursday? I'll take one every day, right? Every day, every day, Lord, I'm open to receive your blessing. So Paul so aptly wrote, guys, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Amen. What a, what a, it, it seems like if you look at what God has done for us, our default response should always be thankfulness, rejoicing, saying gratitude. Nehemiah so aptly wrote in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, verse 11, I believe it is, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. When we rejoice, that is part of our strength. So making a joyful noise, it says in Psalms 100 and Psalms 150, making a joyful noise is a part of our strength. It, it invigorates us. It empowers us. There is power in joy. There is power in praise. There is power in rejoicing. It, it equips us and it builds us up. And when I look at Philippians 4, 4, Paul, it's, it's like this, he uses this, this literary instrument called hyperbole or, or redundancy, in this case, to say rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Whenever you, re whenever you see a, a repetitive phrase or a phrase that's used redundantly, it's not because the author lost his track or forgot his thought. It's for emphasis. It's for being impactful, 
rejoice. It is a part of our strength. It builds us. I don't care if you're going through a trial. I don't care if you're going through a tribulation. I don't care if you're going through some form of suffering or assault or attack on you. When we rejoice, there is a power built into praise inherently that gives us the ability to transcend whatever that situation is. It empowers us. It gives us a relief. It gives us a respite. It gives us the ability to reflect on what God has already done for us to give us strength to get over the current attack. In, in Chronicles, in Second Chronicles, when Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat was praying, I, I, need to, I need to give you guys a little fireside chat. When he was praying, he, uh, I believe it's chapter 20 of Second Chronicles, Jehoshaphat was praying. He said, Lord, we're up against these armies, the Assyrians, the Amorites, the Jebusites, they're about to destroy us. He said, Lord, I love this prayer. You know, I know, I know a lot of people give, uh, you know, uh, crop, props to um, other prayers as being great prayers. The prayer of David, the prayer of Paul, the prayer of Jabez as being some of the greatest prayers in scriptures. My greatest prayer or one of my greatest prayers in scriptures is Jehoshaphat's prayer because of what he said. He said, Lord. We don't really know what to do. How often does that describe where you're at? How often does that describe a situation you're in? Lord, we are absolutely clueless. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. We don't know how to approach this. We don't have a solution. We don't even have a plan A, much less a plan B. Lord, we need your help. And I, I love the fact that Jehoshaphat was so transparent. He was so honest with the Lord. He didn't say, well, we could, you know, borrow some help from another army or make a coalition with the Egyptians or maybe set something up with the Philistines. Maybe we can get a partner. He wasn't looking for a workaround. He wasn't working, looking for some sort of human design or engineered solution. He said, Lord, we don't know what to do. Justin, can you put that up there? Oh, you did already. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You're reading my thoughts. You, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And I'm not even to my main point yet, but I'm just still hung up on this. I'm hung up on his vulnerability. And I think when we're vulnerable, when we show ourselves vulnerable to the Lord, when we let the Lord know that I don't have a fix, I don't have a solution. I'm not trying to pull something from up my sleeve or behind my back. Lord, I'm just clean out. I've wasted all of my human efforts. Please help. When we show abject vulnerability, that's when God is at his best. Not to say God is never at his best. God is always at his best. But that's when we can appreciate that this didn't come from us. And you know, listen, sometimes the Lord walks us into situations where we're exposed to show us that we need to surrender. He sometimes puts us in predicaments where there is no way out but through him. God does that sometimes on purpose to show us and expose our weaknesses 
and to show our vulnerabilities so that we will learn to trust in him. Amen. So so he says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. But watch this. I want you to see where the answer came from. The answer didn't come from a preacher. <laughs> the answer didn't come from a prophet. The answer didn't come from a priest. Let me show you where the answer came from. Right here, stop right there. I want you to see where the answer came from. In the midst of the assembly, a lay person, perhaps somebody without a title, somebody without rank and position, somebody without a letter or initials behind their name, someone that necessarily wasn't over a particular auxiliary or ministry. The Bible says, and Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Beniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah. Can we get to the point here? The son of the son of the sons. <laughs> but go to the next verse. <laughs> he said, he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Let me let me just say something before I read you the answer. The reason I wanted you to see who he was, because I wanted you to understand that God is not a respecter of person. And you don't have to worry about where you are in the pecking order or where you are in the food chain. God uses, God blesses, God intervenes, God heals, God delivers, God restores, God exalts everybody at every station of life. Do you all believe that? <laughs> I believe it. I'm just dumb enough. I'm just ignorant enough. I'm just naive enough to believe it. Be encouraged. Woo. The Bible says, listen all Judah. Listen all BBC. Listen everyone online. Listen Christians worldwide. Thus saith the Lord to you, do not fear. This particular use of the word fear means don't be afraid. Don't be overcome with fright. Don't be overcome with terror. Don't be overcome with paralysis. That's what this fear means. This is not the word defined as reverence here. This is not the word defined fear as respect. This is fear as sheer terror. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours. And that's the punchline. <laughs> that's the money line. <laughs> that's the money line. The battle is never ours. It's always everything that the enemy does is always against God. But he uses us as a mechanism, as a vehicle to try to get to God. He did it with Job. It's how he works. He tries to hurt God by hurting us. We happen to be the battleground in this so-called tug of war, in this warfare that Paul so aptly describes in Ephesians and in Galatians. But let me just tell you something. We are also where the victory is realized. 
God already has all glory. When we, when we let him use us and work through us, then we experience some of that glory, some of that joy. It kind of goes back to what I was sharing with you guys about the movie Chariots of Fire. And, and when the runner Eric literally said to his sister, when I run, I feel God's glory. When I run, I run for the glory of God. When I compete, I compete to win for God's glory. And the point he was making was, is that when I'm successful, when I excel, God is glorified. God is exalted. God is lifted up. God's name is elevated. Oh, boy, that's so good. The battle is not yours. The victory belongs to God. But listen, in closing, we get to rejoice. Our portion of it is that while God gets the glory, we get the victory. And so we exalt in the Lord. We enjoy victory and success through God. We, God is just this, 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 he uses us as this proxy, this intermediary to bring glory to his name. But then in doing so, he allows us to participate in the process where we enjoy the victory as though we did it. Even though God gets all the credit, God does all the work. God is the one that supplies the power, the ingenuity, the, the ability, the wherewithal to win. He allows us to participate in the victory. We not only become a vessel, but we become a proxy. We become a victor by extension. We enjoy God's goodness and glory by allowing him to work through us. So he says rejoice. Rejoice because the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. I'm going to close because I could just get more and more into that word rejoice from Psalms 33.1, Psalms 40.16. I'll put them in the notes. You can read them throughout the week. I would recommend that you use the Be a Berean schedule as a means of incorporating it or supplementing it as a part of your devotions because you, you get some backstory on Revelation 19 and 20 and 21, all of them talking about this great celebration. Revelation 21, 4 says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. I'm reading from the King James Version. Neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. Amen. Oh, boy, that's what I'm talking about. Isn't that enough to make you want to rejoice? Don't wait. Listen, listen. Don't wait until the battle is over. You can start shouting now. You can start rejoicing now. You can start celebrating now. You can start enjoying the victory now. We might be in the midst of the storm. We may still be going through something, but we can start the party right now. It's a fixed fight. It's done. We win. We win. Oh, my goodness, Lord. Mm. Mm.
I'm going to sit down, but listen, let me just tell you, I prayed from this series in Revelation, and I didn't, I feel, I feel so, you know, I was, I, I was talking to Maria, I was, I was looking at some things that Dr. David Jeremiah said in his series a couple years ago in Revelation, some things I learned from, from, from Dr. Charles Swindoll and, 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 and Chuck Stanley and some other people that have taught Revelation and some things that was in Chuck Smith's notes in the Blue Letter Bible and some things from, from MacArthur and from John Piper and other people that I've read and how they've covered this book. But I'm going to tell you something. I did not go into excruciating detail on purpose because I wasn't trying to go there. I wasn't trying to give you guys an in-depth dissertation breaking down every verse by verse on the book of Revelation. I wanted to give you a conceptual view of it from the standpoint of enjoying Revelation because it is a book of rejoicing. And I'll never forget when Bishop Smith and I sat down and talked about writing this book. He talked about writing it. I, he, I he talked to me about being a research assistant and helping. All I was thinking about was, Bishop, Revelation is a doom and gloom book. Revelation is sorrow and destruction and judgment. Revelation is fire and brimstone. Revelation is death and eternity and fear. And, and, and how, how, do you, how, do you even, how do you even conflate the two words of joy and revelation? They seem like they're antithesis by nature. But as I started to study the book, way back when I was living in St. Louis, I started to study this book deeply in the 90s and started digging into, wow, you know what? There is joy here. There is cause for celebration. There's because there's redemption and restoration here. So I'm so pumped. I got so pumped about it. And I started thinking, I can see why we could call the book Enjoying Revelation because it is a book for enjoyment. Enjoyment in that, not the kind of enjoyment like, you know, going to, you know, to, to the circus or going to a ball game or to the park, but joy that inspires, that encourages, that builds up, joy that gives us confidence, that gives us strength, joy that gives us assurance that God's going to see us through and we're going to be all right, whether in sickness or in death, God will be glorified, we will be edified we will be resurrected we will be reigning with him i feel inadequate to teach the book of revelation i feel like i did an inadequate job from a comprehensive standpoint but i feel like i hope i feel i hope i hope that i've conveyed to you the importance of the book from just a sheer standpoint of celebration and rejoicing that you don't fear this book that you are not intimidated anymore by the book of revelation that this book doesn't scare you and you don't just blow over it and start you know reading romans or reading psalms that you feel like this book is part of the canon of scripture and it deserves the same type of levity and attention and emphasis as the other books that is not just a throwaway book a castaway because it's futuristic it is not those seven churches that I talked about in the first three chapters and in the chapters that we're talking about now, 19 
through 22. These are relevant to the body of Christ completely. Whether you believe in a post-trib, a mid-trib, an amillennials view, a post-millennials view, a historic view, a futuristic view, it doesn't matter where you're coming from in terms of your worldview on the book of Revelation. You can't deny that rejoicing and that salvation and redemption is a part of this book, a major thread from 1 through 22, that however you look at it, God is in the saving business throughout of eternity, throughout the millennium, throughout all periods of human history, that God is reaching out to seek and to save those who are lost. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let me stop. Let me stop. Hallelujah. Lord, we just ask that you bless this book. We'll do a review next Sunday and to wrap it up. We'll sort of summarize some of the high points um, and inspiring us to look at this book as a viable part of the 66 that is just as important to us as the Gospels or the Epistles or the Prophets or the Psalms. We ask you, Lord, to help us to apply this word to our lives that is not just information, but that it becomes inspiration, that is not just data, but that it becomes a declaration of life, that we will live by it and obey it, and we thank and praise you. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen, amen. God bless you. God bless you.